0: welcome to the equipping podcast my name's karen henson and i'm here with nate dog what <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't know what, uh, what are your real that? nicknames what do people call I don't, you
1: like i don't know nathan
0: <laughs> <laughs> no that's not a nickname <laughs>
1: nate. Oh. people
0: call you nate
1: yeah, well, but but my son is Nate. Right. I have a junior, so yeah, he's Nate. I, in, in high school, people called me Wags, but uh, around here, our senior pastor, Todd, that's kind of his nickname. Yeah, so. you can't steal I that. Don't, yeah, I don't it's get that. It's, that's confusing. I don't know.
0: Great. <laughs> all right. Well, we're here with Nathan Wagnon. Super excited. Oh, uh, yeah. And today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Mike Wilkins about the book of Matthew. Hope you all enjoy this conversation.
1: Today, I am excited that we have on the phone with us from Southern California, Dr. Mike Wilkins. Interesting story about Mike. So picture me, which if you've never seen me before, then good luck with that. But if you know me, then picture me like this uh, young seminary student at Dallas Seminary. I'm uh, looking at what I want to write for my master's thesis, and I'm going through the library, and I know like discipleship is near and dear to my heart. It always has been. And so I start doing this research for my master's thesis, and I'm like, somebody really should write a book that like, explores the history of discipleship, and how it plays through the gospels, and how it, that affects our understanding today. And so I start researching all this stuff, and then uh, before I know it, uh, pretty much every book I'm reading is either by Mike Wilkins, <laughs> or the people who are writing are citing Mike Wilkins. And so I very quickly realized, oh, I should definitely read this guy. So I picked up his book, which is kind of the definitive work on a theology of discipleship called Following the Master. Um, then I started looking into, well, who is this guy, right? And I began to realize, uh, oh, wait, this guy like has a surfing ministry in Southern California and also was in the army. And so instead of thinking like kind of ivory tower Uh, academic geek could we say that
0: (laughs) don't (laughs) offend him he just got here
1: (laughs) um instead think of a guy who walks into the classroom and flip-flops with a surfing shirt on is that an
0: accurate picture
1: i think so yeah i mean when i went out for my doctoral work which is why I, i uh after I got out of the military, uh, my wife actually was like, you really ought to go study under this guy because he was in the army and, you know, and I'd just gotten out of the military. And and so I started looking at Biola's doctoral programs and they had one on discipleship. And so I was looking at it and Mike was the guy and Dallas Willard was a guy and all these stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Those are my dudes. So anyway, I went out and uh, unfortunately... Mike had to step away from that cohort, and Dallas uh, passed away right as I started. so But another guy stepped in. And it's been totally awesome. Steve Porter has been a huge uh, influence in my life. Anyway, all of that to just say I'm fanboying a little bit here because Mike's had a huge influence on my life, and we are super excited to have him on the call with us today to talk about Matthew. So, Dr. Mike Wilkins, man, welcome to the podcast.
2: Woo! Well. Thank you very much. And thank you for the, the, just that background to it. I, I'm stoked to hear this. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, and I'm delighted to be with you guys.
1: I love it. So tell us a little bit about how does a guy in Southern California, because the surfing ministry thing was real, right? Like you, do you still do that? Or well, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: I was uh, raised in Southern California, uh, went to high school uh, in Huntington Beach, and we live in San Clemente. And these are, you know, these are significant surfing communities. <laughs> And it's it's just been a, a wonderful thing, especially my older daughter. Uh, she surfed competitively from the time she was in fifth or sixth grade, and it, it was just an opportunity for us to uh, reach into the surfing community and bring the gospel message to kids that really are in a tough place. Uh, so it, it was it's it's been a wonderful thing. Uh, still a part of our our lives. And it's just been a privilege to introduce people to Jesus in the serving community. That's so cool.
1: Well, Mike is an expert. He's probably one of the top experts in the world on the Gospel of Matthew. He's written the NIV application commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. And if you've tracked with us, uh, we've started to kind of do a couple of podcast episodes for each book of the Bible to just kind of summarize it point to the ma- major themes, let everybody see like, hey, this is where the book fits in its context. And so today we're going to do that with the book of Matthew with Mike. So, so Mike, let's just jump right into understanding the world that Matthew was written into. So, you have this m- massive expectation f- of the people of Israel who are looking forward to a Messiah. And then at the end of this post-exilic era when... Israel comes back from exile in Babylon, and they are trying to reestablish themselves as a people, and it kind of goes south, <laughs> not just a little bit, like a lot. And there's a lot of conflict, and then all of a sudden the the Romans show up, and you have a lot of this messianic expectation about this son of David, one who would come and liberate israel from its oppression and so jesus is born into that and you have this very short ministry uh, by this guy and he's crucified and then there's this story by his followers that he's alive from the dead and then the christians are dispersed and you have the book of acts and so tell us um, that's just a very brief kind of set the stage but tell us how matthew fits into all of that and at what point in that story is Matthew writing his gospel? And uh, so just set the stage for us a little bit about the, the background of this book.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, you'll recall that Matthew was one of the, the first uh, people that Jesus called to follow him and to become his disciple. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector, uh, which in the eyes of uh, his Jewish neighbors, he would have been considered a traitor because he was working for the Romans and taking away taxes uh, from the people to give to the Romans. Uh, But Matthew got turned around very, very quickly, and he became a devout follower of Jesus. And what we can hear from early church history is that uh, Matthew would have been with the Twelve and other disciples in Jerusalem for many years. Uh, and then as Christianity started to expand, it went north into the area of modern-day Syria to a town, a city actually, called Antioch. And we know from the book of Acts that Peter was prominent in Antioch. The apostle Paul used Antioch as a place to send out missionaries. Um, so it was a prominent city but it was made up of a large element in the church, the church who was formed there, a large element of Jews and a large element of Gentiles. And what we find in Matthew is that he is writing his gospel to let these two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, know that they are the people of God and help to break down some of the dividing walls between them as a people. So Matthew then writes his gospel some 30 years after Jesus has uh, been crucified and raised. And Matthew's writing it to a a city that is, in just a few years, going to experience more of the Roman occupation. And it's really going to be a, a horrible time for him. So Matthew writes to give confidence to both Jews and Gentiles and God's still in control
1: yeah so uh, explain to us you mentioned some of the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles to let them both know that they are uh, the people of God uh, unpack that for us a little bit like what did that tension look like
2: well the tension was that uh, the Jewish people people of Israel were known as the people of God and they had the promises they would be at the center of the kingdom when God establishes kingdom through the soon-coming Messiah. And in many ways, they considered themselves superior to the Gentiles who were not the people of God. Mm -hmm. But what happened in Jesus' ministry is that uh, Jesus came to the Jews. Matthew is very clear about this. It's a term called particularism, that the people of Israel are the particular people that God has come in Jesus to bring this gospel message and establish the kingdom. But very soon, Jesus wasn't operating as the kind of Messiah that many of the Jews were hoping for. He wasn't overthrowing the Roman occupation. Uh, He wasn't establishing a political kingdom. And so they turned away from him. Uh, the, The religious leaders, as well as many of the people of Israel, And at that point, then, Jesus turns to the Gentiles Hmm. and says that now ethnicity is not what makes up my people. My people will be made up of those who accept my gospel, Hmm. and they will now become the true people of God made up of Jew and Gentile. So Matthew writes into that context to bring them together, to let them know that they are the ones that uh, will be... Members of the kingdom and will be advancing the kingdom.
0: Yeah, and I think that's so helpful to remember because on this side in 21st century America, we read this and we forget that that tension even existed. Oh, yeah. Yes. We can look at the Gentiles and be like, ah, Jesus loved everybody. Of course they're in. But for the Jew, that would have been revolutionary and probably offensive, oh, yeah, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, very much so. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you have, and Mike, I'd love to hear you talk about this as well, but um, there's this story from this early. Historian named Suetonius who talks about one of the Caesars who actually kicks these people out of Rome because they're fighting. Does that story have any correlation to just the tension that that you're talking about?
2: Yeah, it would have that, that same uh, effect uh, because of the tension that was found in Rome uh, that they would, the Jews were blamed for setting the the city on fire. So there was tremendous tension. And remember what's going to happen pretty soon. Matthew would have written this gospel around A.D. 60, and within six years, Rome was going to start the war against the Jews mm-hmm. back in Palestine in the, the land of Israel, yeah. and Antioch is not too far from that. They will uh, experience that same kind of tension that now Rome is attacking Palestine.
1: Around the same time that Matthew writes his gospel, just a few years prior Paul is writing his letter to the Romans and is is right. talking about these types of these similar themes of hey it's not this external circumcision but this internal one that makes you the 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 people of God. That's right. And so what would that community in in Antioch when Matthew is writing there what what would that have looked like? I mean we we know what the community in Jerusalem was like on some level because it gets recorded in the book of Acts around First, the Jerusalem Council, and then when Paul returns and the elders are telling him like, hey, uh, you might want to still act like you're a Jew. And uh, there was still a lot of tension there. What would that community have looked like in Antioch?
2: It's a, a large city. It's It was primarily Gentiles. And then a Jewish contingent began moving in during the very same time that uh, Paul was ministering in Antioch. So the church is made up of Jew and Gentile. And we see later, uh, one of the early church fathers named Ignatius in his letters, he would have been the bishop of Antioch, uh, some 30 years after Matthew wrote. And so we can still see some of the same tension that he's talking about there, that the Gentiles now have been seen as included in the people of God, but The Jews are not excluded, they're invited to the kingdom, but they're not going to be the ones, I I refer to them as the instruments of the kingdom. I think in the future, Israel will be, once again, the instrument of the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel, uh, establishing God's kingdom on earth. But for now, it's made up of just Jew and Gentile.
0: Mm. Yeah, it brings a lot of light into... Looking at the themes of the New Testament, that idea of unity and you being the community of God, that that was so much a barrier for these people that these letters were originally written to?
2: Yes, very much so.
1: I mean, it also is, well, slightly encouraging on some level just to see, like, the same struggles that we experience today in in trying to preserve unity. Like, that's nothing new, you know? This is, a, this is a human problem that's been around, that's for, been a around for a while. Yeah, it just, it just uh, shows itself in different ways in different seasons. So to summarize, um, what we've heard from you so far is Matthew is an actual eyewitness. He was actually a follower of Jesus. At some point in his life, uh, he, he moves up to be a presence in the church at Antioch, and sometime in the late 50s or early 60s, uh, writes this gospel to the church at Antioch to encourage them to promote the message of the gospel that both Jews and Gentiles are the people of God.
0: So in Matthew 9, Matthew himself identifies himself as being in the tax booth, like he calls himself a tax collector. Would that not discredit him in a way to his audience if if he's writing if the Jews truly hated tax collectors and thought of them as being rebels who were against their own people yeah, traitors yeah would that not have discredited his authorship and his credentials in a way
2: the way I would see that is it it doesn't take away from his credibility if anything it gives greater credibility to the power of the gospel to change lives that when you look at the 12 i mean there there were some losers in there There was an actual traitor to Jesus, Judas, Um, but Matthew, just by his life, has proven that the gospel works, that the gospel is powerful and can change lives. And uh, So, no, you you really don't get that in church history at all, any kind of discrediting of who Matthew is because of what he has done in the past. Rather the emphasis on the power of the gospel to change lives.
0: Well, that's encouraging to us today, just to remember, like, hey, we are not defined by our past, and we can rightfully share where we have been because of what Christ has done in our lives today.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: There's also just this sense of, uh, when you start to talk about historical reliability of something, Mm -hmm. one of the criterion that people look at is this criterion of embarrassment. After that, um, you have this, this person who's going, uh... Yeah, about that. Like, I was a tax collector. Yeah,
0: well, <laughs> yeah. we recently talked about the resurrection and the women finding yeah, the empty yeah, tomb. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. that same idea. Why would you include that unless yeah, it was true?
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, hey, if you're trying to put this this thing together, then for it to be fully accepted without question, then you're going to massage some of those details. But what you see is you see a guy who encounters Jesus. Mm-hmm. And is just given a straightforward account about who he was.
0: Do we know much about the end of his life?
2: No, we really don't. Some church fathers indicated that he was martyred for his faith. Others don't really speak much about it at all. Uh, so even that, um, Matthew is an unlikely person to write a gospel. And that as, as you're alluding to in the criteria of authenticity, that really does establish the credibility of his text uh, because they don't make a big deal of him. It's not like he was some major figure.
0: All right. So as we have talked about, he's writing to the Jews and the Gentiles telling them that they are all now God's people. What kind of portrait of Jesus is Matthew painting? Like if, if his audience is reading this, who do they see Jesus as?
2: Well, uh, maybe just to, for one bit, uh, in the the gospel records, for the most part, you can look at the very first verse or verses of each of the gospels, and they give an indication of the author's purpose for writing. And Matthew follows along that uh, so that his very first verse, he starts it off by indicating that this is the book of the origin or genealogy, some say, of Jesus Christ. And then he calls him the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what Jesus now is, is a Messiah who is in the line of David, uh, the one who would be a ruling Messiah, but he is also in the line of Abraham, uh, whose seed would be a blessing to all the nations. So you have a Messiah now that isn't just typical uh, for, for what many Jews were hoping for, a conquering Messiah. He is one who is bringing hope to all the peoples, Jew and Gentile. And then from there, just the powerful portrait that Matthew paints of this Jesus is that he's miraculously born of a virgin mm-hmm. uh, through the operation of the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew goes on to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so in the very first chapter, you've got this powerful figure who is divine, yet is completely human as well. So we have now this god man in the very first chapter of Matthew that is going to be the one who initiates the kingdom, who initiates the good news of salvation for all people. So it's it's a powerful
1: portrait. Yeah, yeah. So you have this this god man, this god with us figure. And then how would as we start to look at how the book is portraying Jesus how would the teachings, which are a heavy emphasis in Matthew's gospel, how would those have portrayed him?
2: One of the things that I'm intrigued with uh, in the way that Matthew has developed his gospel is that he has alternating narrative discourse, narrative discourse. So we have the life of Jesus portrayed, like say here at the first in chapters one through four. So we have this Messiah who is the God Man who has come to initiate the kingdom. And then we have in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5 through 7, we have the first discourse. And it's here that we see what kingdom life is all about. That Jesus has brought a whole new life. It's kingdom life. Uh, and then the next narrative, we have the power of the kingdom, this whole collection of miracles. And Jesus is a, uh, a powerful miracle worker. Uh, and that's all in chapters eight and nine. And then chapter 10 is the missionary discourse where he indicates that he's going to go out with the mission to first the Jews, but then to all the nations and all disciples and will be missionaries who carry on once he's gone. So, you know, we could detail those, but that's, that's the way Matthew's developed this. He gives us a portrait of Jesus that also then becomes the example for what we are all about. If we're being conformed to his image, then we're going to see who Jesus is in the narrative and then what his teaching is in all the discourses. Mm.
1: One of the things that's interesting to me about the portrait that, that he's painting here is, especially in the Matthew's birth narrative, you have this child born, and then there's almost an immediate flight to Egypt where jesus and joseph and mary stay to until the herod at the time dies and then you have him come back and then you have him begin to say things like i didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets i came to fulfill them he's acting as if he's almost like this second moses the parallels there seem to be striking to me what 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 do you make of that
2: Yeah, and that's a a picture that uh, several scholars have done. Uh, Dale Allison is one who has seen Jesus as the new Moses. I think there's there's an element in there that's pretty powerful, but what I see as well is it isn't just Moses, but it's Israel. Mm. Jesus uh, is the fulfillment of all of the promises that were made to Israel. Mm. And so Israel is the ones who come out of Egypt. And Jesus is the one who comes out of Egypt and he is now fulfilling what Israel was supposed to have done. Uh, and then I, I see the same thing in the verses you mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. So it goes beyond Moses to all of Israel yeah. and all of the revelation that was given uh, to Israel. Jesus is a fulfillment of that. He says, I'm the one that the law and the prophets was pointing to. Mm. I'm the one who now will bring it to its intended purpose and result so that he doesn't do away with the law, but brings it to its climactic fulfillment.
1: And who gets to be a part of this kingdom of God? How do we see Jesus? What, what's being portrayed about him by the way that he's portraying the kingdom of God?
2: I would see it that... Uh, If we go to the Great Commission that concludes Matthew's Gospel, you know, he starts with Emmanuel, being Emmanuel, God with us, and then in the Great Commission, we're to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And then he concludes it by saying, and I am with you always to the end of the age. So what we really find with Jesus is that you and I and all of your listeners, if, if they have come to receive Jesus as their savior and God, they are walking with God now in the person of Jesus in a way that God had designed the creation from the very beginning. So there's the beginning restoration of who we are to be what God had intended us to be in the first place. It's not going to be perfect in this life, but what Jesus has done is brought about the transformation of our lives to be what God had intended for us from the very beginning. Mm-hmm.
0: That is so good. And it's something that we forget, like the withness of Jesus in our lives. like yes. we can so quickly forget. We talk about, oh, what it must have been like to be there when Jesus was walking the earth, and you turn around and you're like, "You have the Holy Spirit." in you (laughs) that's a big deal
1: what's it like for Jesus to be
0: in you yeah (laughs) it's different yeah Uh, but that's been really helpful just to kind of take a step back and realize like Jesus was more than they ever could have asked for he was the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament had predicted he wasn't just a new Moses but he was what all of Israel needed and not just Israel but all of the world yeah
1: the nations Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: and then he doesn't leave them alone he promises to be with them and to be with us
2: yes yes
1: yeah so you primarily see in matthew's gospel this son of david this davidic messianic figure who is the true israelite who is coming not just to the people of israel but through israel to the entire world yes so stick with us as we continue this conversation next week we're gonna move through the rest of the gospel of matthew and draw some conclusions and hopefully tie this off. So we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the equipping podcast. If you liked what you heard, then share it with your friends and leave us a comment on iTunes. And if you want to email us,
0: we've gotten one email. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm so excited about it. Thank you. Hallelujah.
1: You can email us at equipping podcast at watermark.org. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's was... <laughs> awesome. Huh? We'll see you next week.
0: <laughs> I can't do it. Peace. Bye.